Repodcasting is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Have you ever watched a movie and wondered why they cast that woman or that guy? Well, here's our chance to give it a try. We're repodcasting. Hello, and welcome to a special bonus episode of Repodcasting. Before we get started, a couple of things. First, we recorded on site at the Calgary International Film Festival, and so everyone was masked up. And um, my voice is a little muffled, but you should still have no trouble understanding what I'm saying. So I uh, hope you enjoy. And secondly, as you know, Repodcasting is part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And there were several other Alberta Podcast Network podcasts that also recorded on site at the Calgary International Film Festival and have special episodes that have already come out or will be coming out really soon. So those include Kyle and Dave versus the Machine, The Breakfast Dish, Three Kitchens Podcast, Get Checkered, Anti-Culture with Josiah Sinanen, and I Don't Get It. So be sure to listen to all of those podcasts and their special SIF episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also find them all, including repodcasting, at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And now, on to the show. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Repodcasting. I'm Lucia, and unfortunately, my co-host Janet is not here today. But I have a very special guest instead, filmmaker Anna Baumgarten. Hi, Anna. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. This is great. Um, so I want to start off uh, letting everybody know that this episode of Repodcasting was recorded on site at the Calgary International Film Festival. Now in its 22nd year, SIF brings the best of Alberta, Canadian, and world cinema to Calgary each fall. Sign up for the SIF newsletter at sifcalgary.ca slash newsletter or follow at SIF Calgary on all platforms to be sure you don't miss out on any of the exciting upcoming events. So speaking of the Calgary International Film Festival, Anna, your first feature film, Disfluency, is playing at the festival this year. Yes, yeah, it's it's very exciting. Um, first feature, first festival, we're, we're super glad to be here. And Congratulations. Yeah. Um, I had the chance to see it, and I thought it was an absolutely fantastic movie. I can't wait for it to, like, be out there for many, many people to see. Um, and so without giving too much away, it's a story about a young woman who goes through a trauma and then the film kind of shows more the aftermath and the fallout of how she deals with it and maybe sometimes doesn't deal with it. And so it's really, I found it to be like a really real, raw version of dealing with trauma that you don't often see on film. And so like, how did you, how were you able to reach that point that maybe a lot of other people have tried in the past and not quite done the same level of, uh, of realness? Sure. Um, so this, the, the idea for the film, it came from um, a personal experience that I had with trauma in college. Uh, with that said, Jane's story is very much her own story. It's not, you know, based on my life um, by any means, but I... I haven't seen a lot of the kind of nuances of PTSD and imposter syndrome and the way that I felt them. Um, so that really kind of drove me to tell the story in this way. So that was, that was a, a big, a big part of it for me was pulling from uh, personal experience and also pulling on all of the different elements, the, 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 the joy you feel, I mean, because you kind of feel more intensely after a trauma sometimes. So going in all the directions instead of like sad thing happens to sad girl in sad movie. Right. Yeah. I didn't realize it when I saw the movie, but this started off as a short film. 
Yes. And so what was the process like of turning your short film into a feature? Yeah. So, yeah, this was originally a short film. Um, I I wrote it about like five years ago, I think, at this point. And I, I wrote and produced the short film. And I brought on my very good friend, Laura Holiday, who is a fantastic director. And she directed the short. Uh, and then we were submitting it everywhere. Um, we, you know, played at a, a few prominent festivals. And then we also, I, I submitted it to uh, the Short to Feature Lab, which is run by Jim Cummings and Ben Wiesner of Vanishing Angle. And we got in, which was uh, really cool. Uh, and then I went and spent, you know, five days in Malibu with the other inaugural short to feature fellows, nine other filmmakers. And I really didn't think about <laughs> turning this into a feature until we got into that lab. And then once we got there, I really started to think like, okay, maybe we can, maybe this can really happen. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm a writer. I consider myself a writer first and foremost. So I was like, sure, I'll like write the feature script of this. Um, and then that turned into, okay, well, like, let's actually, let's actually see if we can make it, which after the lab, we ended up from the lab where I just started to outline to shooting was six months later, wow. um, that was a pretty, pretty aggressive <laughs> timeline. Um, but it's one of those things that's a train, it's momentum, uh, you know, the train's moving, people want to jump on it. So we, we really, uh, ran with that. So, uh, we, and we super appreciate the short to feature lab support and, coming out of it. And I, uh, I, and I, I, I ended up directing the feature, which Laura kind of pushed me towards too. Um, cause she knew I wanted to do it. I just didn't have a lot of faith in myself at the time. Um, but that's where we landed and I'm really uh, grateful for it. So, so was it like, was that always your path to become a director? Um, <laughs> that's an interesting question for me just because like my thesis in college at the university of Michigan was in directing, but I've always considered myself more a writer and a producer. Okay. Um, but I really love directing. I really do. I, I have a background in performing. Um, I do theater. Uh, I don't do on-screen acting. Uh, I, I like leaving it all on a stage. Um, but I really love working with actors. Uh, my passion really does lie there. So I think that is a direction I'll, I'll be headed in much more. Okay. So my next question is, how did you decide on the title Disfluency? Yes. So the title Disfluency, um, Disfluency, uh, normalized speech disfluencies are interruptions in the natural flow in speech in our everyday conversations. As humans, we don't speak totally fluently. We pause, we, we restart sentences. We say, um, like, uh, all of these inner interruptions um, like that. <laughs> and when I went to write the short film, um, which I, have you seen the short film? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's much more of like a condensed, like a study in like what disfluency is and how the word sorry has kind of become a disfluency for a lot of people where it's thrown into sentences. You don't really think about it. It doesn't really have a meaning yeah. after a certain point. As a Canadian, I really get that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I understand. I know when we came here, I was like, it's like the land of sorry. Um, and yes, and I mean that in a very affectionate way, of course. Uh, but, and, but there we go. <laughs> um, so disfluency, the, the way that concept came up is after I went through this trauma, I myself would have panic attacks where I became pretty nonverbal. Um, and sorry was one of the words that I could kind of get out. And I thought that was really interesting. And that led me to 
question how we do throw words into sentences. And I was like, what the hell are those? <laughs> like, what are these things? Um, and they're filler words and they're um, utterances. And there's kind of two categories, which we don't go into in the film, but sounds like, um, uh, you know, they really don't have meaning associated. And then there's filler words, which is what I'm describing sorry as, but like, like, but, where they do have meaning, but they're, you know, they're, they're changed once they're used as a disfluency. Yeah. Anyways, so <laughs> I, I chose the title because I had this experience and I started researching and I was like, oh, this is a really interesting thing. And then I started thinking about how certain traumas are almost like disfluencies in life where we'll go through them and we'll be expected to brush over them, recover from them really quickly, pay them no mind, whatever it might be. So the trauma that Jane goes through, I consider society, I think, considers a disfluency. It's just a small interruption. But really, her trauma and the word sorry are so significant. They carry so much meaning. And so that's that's really where the title came from, yeah. that, that comparison between the two. That's amazing. And yeah, I think people in general don't we don't give ourselves enough time and maybe don't always give others enough time to process things like that where, yeah, you are expected to just kind of like get over it super quickly and yeah. move on. But this, um, this film really shows that there is a process required that, you know, you have to reach the end of before you can truly move on. Yeah, definitely. And going back to the word, sorry, in the short film, you know, we see her, apologizing just in her everyday life. And then after she's apologizing, but it, it has more weight. So when going through a trauma, you have to reconcile it with yourself, with your family, with your loved ones. Um, in my case, with God, with the world, uh, with society, you go through all these different levels of acceptance. Uh, and so that's something I also, you know, really leaned into. And I thought ended up bringing a lot of nuance to the film and the topic. And so there is a lot about language and how we use it in the film. And so I was just like, while I was watching, I was wondering, did you study language? I, I did not study language. With that said, I am a writer and I've always, you know, I, I love language. I love, I, I always thought people who are bi and trilingual are like superheroes. Um, I studied <laughs> Spanish for a very long time and I was conversational at one point, but I, I just, I love different languages and communicating. I think it's so fascinating. And when we arrived at using sign language in the film, um, ASL, it's a, I mean, it's a language unlike any other. It's a language that you physically feel. So that's really why we decided to lean into it and explore it more. Um, does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, and it leads to my next one because I was really impressed with the way that sign language was used in the film. And if I hope I'm not spoiling anything, there's a really powerful scene where Jane is teaching sign language to her friend and she ends up telling her her trauma that she has not told anybody yet using sign language. And because of like as an audience member, because of the silence of it, it, it hits so much harder than if she was just telling her what had happened. Yeah. Like using speech. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for me, that's for like Jane using sign language. Again, it's like when you're when you're using sign language, there's something that's activated in the body. Um, there's a book called 
the body keeps the score, which is about how trauma lives in your body. So there was something interesting about that coming out, but also the fact that that scene is two women. It is silent, but it's also so loud. Um, and yes. yeah. And also like for me, it's the, like, I hope, you know, if somebody watches it a second time, it's the fact that Jane is teaching her friend who is teaching her young son how to speak like all of that. And I feel like all of that hopefully adds layers to that scene as well. Um, but yeah, I just looked at all the different ways we could touch on different kinds of communication, how we communicate without hitting it over the head too much. So uh, I'm really glad that scene resonated for you. Yeah, absolutely. There was also like one other scene that like the entire movie was wonderful, but there was oh, another you. scene that like I just couldn't get over, which is uh, when Jane goes to the police station to report what had happened. And like, I have to say the directing there is really outstanding because you're so, it's such an intimate scene. You're really there with her and the tension grows and the tension in me watching it grows, which is a really impressive feat. I, I thought that was extremely well done. And if it's not too personal, did you also have a, like something like that in your life where you then reported it to the police? Yes. So when you're talking about like tension building, are you referring to like the scene? I just, I mean, we can talk about both scenes, but there's two scenes. There's her talking to the officer and then there's her in the police station bathroom with her sister. Right. I was thinking more talking to the officer, which Got then it. leads to the build yes. up in the bathroom scene. Yes. And we actually had this question at the Q and A, which is like, that felt so like, is that how it is? Like it felt so real. Um, and I will say that was pulled from my own experience. I would say that the police station, the, and the police station bathroom are very pulled from my own experience, just like the awkwardness and the, the, um, when we were talking about in terms of like color and sound for those scenes, I was like the police station when she's talking to the police officer needs to be just boring. Like it doesn't need to feel scary. It just needs to feel dull. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like like yeah. real life yes. more so than like, this is the climax to a film or whatever it might be. Right. Um, but with that, uh, I, I went into, you know, file a report and I, in that scene, Jane becomes distracted by the fact that the police officer is using a pad of paper <laughs> as opposed to like, you know, it's, it's 20, whatever. And aren't like, why aren't you using a computer? Like, it's very weird to yeah. see somebody handwrite something in front of you as you tell them, like taking real notes. Yeah. Um, which was something that happened in my experience where I was like, oh, like you really write stuff down on paper still. It just, and that's just something I never thought about. But in terms of, again, back to the communication and the language element, it's like this really old school, what feels like an old school form of communication today <laughs> becomes this distraction. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that police station is very real. Um, I think because it comes from a very real place. Yeah, and I have to say for me, watching him write and then seeing Jane like asking like, why are you writing this and do you not have a laptop? Um, like for me, I was like, yeah, why is he writing this? Isn't this too important? Like it feels like it's just going to get thrown away if he's just writing it right. out on a little pad. So yeah, it's frustrating <laughs> to watch. Yes. And then as Jane gets more frustrated, the viewer gets more frustrated. And so, yeah, it's just, it's really interestingly done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, 
Great. It sounds like it hit the way that I had intended, which is honestly the the biggest reward you can hear about a scene. Great. And so, well, I'll ask now, uh, how does the, so for repodcasting, we deal with a lot of like casting. And so how did you cast your movie? Yeah. So I'll start with, um, working with Lee Bay So we were making the short film and we were like, okay, we got to find Jane. Like who is our Jane? And we had this big list of people and I was just, I was me and Laura. When I say we, I was uh, Laura holiday and myself. And I was watching sneaky Pete on Amazon and Lee Bay is, you know, she's in the main cast on that. And I saw her in the first, in the first scene, she comes up and I was like, this is Jane. This, this is Jane. Like, wow. She, she's somebody we all know. She's familiar. She's interesting. I want to, you know, just see her everyday life. And so I literally went on IMDb pro. I looked up her. (laughs) I'm not saying this, this will always work or if this was the right way to do it. But, you know, I contacted her manager and I said, Hey, would Lee want to do a short film? And she said, let me run it by her. And it turned into this discussion. She ultimately kind of took a chance on us, not knowing us or much about us aside from our work. And from there, after we did the short film, I was like, Libe, would you want to do a feature? She was like, yeah, of course. I'd love to do a feature with you. And I said, you have a sister, Ariella Barrera. <laughs> She's also an actress. She's on the Hulu series Marvel Runaways. She was just on the pilot Rebel. Um, so I knew that, you know, Ariella acted too. And I said, great, I'm going to write a sister story for you. Pull, like the disfluency version of this. <laughs> and this is another thing. When we made the short feature, I was like, I can't live in this really kind of the tone of the short film because the tone of the short is much more dramatic. Right. It's at school as opposed to at home. And I was like, I'm going to, if I'm going to make a feature film, it's going to be a fun summer movie. <laughs> but I also had this trauma to deal with. So merging those two is really important to me because I knew that as a creator, I had to live with this for years. Right. Um, so that kind of eased that burden. And I also think brought a little more truth to it. But going back to casting, we had Libe and Ariella on board, uh, and then we started just casting around them. So our supporting cast, Chelsea Alden, is a you know a friend of Libe's. I saw a lot of audition tapes for Amber. Hers resonated the most. She's, she's such a great fit, so we brought her on. And then their representation started sending us actors, uh, and that's how we got you know Travis involved. And we also had a few Michigan locals, so it really was based around those two and also Dylan Arnold from the short film. Um, he actually played the assailant in the short film, the character Mark. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason we cast him as that in the short is because Dylan and Libe had so much chemistry mm. that we were like, what's going to hurt the most? Oh. <laughs> it's going to hurt the most if we like them together. Wow. So, um, but then we brought him back for the feature and we made him the love interest, uh, which I had some conflict with just in terms of knowing we had an audience of survivors beforehand, but I, I, I don't want to penalize an actor for a role they played previously. I don't think that's fair. Of course. And he was just brilliant. So uh, the casting all kind of came together. I drove my producer, Danny, a little crazy with casting because I did some of it very last minute, <laughs> but I, I know as a director, that's, you know, casting is the most important choice you make for the film. And going just more to like almost the technical side of it, because like I'm not a filmmaker, so I am curious what role a casting director plays in casting people versus 
the director of the film? <laughs> um, great question. We didn't have a casting oh, director. Okay. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, casting kind kind of came together organically and in this hodgepodge kind of way. I'm looking at Danny right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so really it was like me and Danny and some of these reps kind of helping us in friends auditioning. Uh, Danny pulled in, you know, a few local Michigan actors that he's worked with because he's produced quite a bit in Michigan. So it really was a team effort, much like a lot of aspects of making indie film at this budget level. Okay, great. So unfortunately, as I said earlier, Janet could not be here, but she did send some questions. Oh, great. Yeah. So um, she would like to know, what was the last movie you watched that blew you away and resonated deeply? Oh, wow. Okay, let's see. Well, I'm going to talk about a movie that I saw here. Oh, great. So I saw The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne the other day, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm a huge cat lover. I love cats. So um, that really sparked my interest in going to see it. But there was a scene where his wife has cancer. And I don't think that this is a spoiler because it's like a biopic. (laughs) But his wife has cancer and it's one of their last moments together. And they're both facing towards camera. Um, And it's the aspect ratio of the film. It, It feels so much like a portrait. Um, but it really hit me hard just them having that last conversation and her telling him, you know, you're a prism for art. Like, I don't make the world beautiful. Mm. The world is beautiful. And we help each other see that. And that really resonated strongly with me. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that's great. And are there any current filmmakers whose work you're really into at the moment? Oh, that's a great question that I don't really have an answer to. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> okay. I, I will say this. I've been very much in a in a kind of a hole with finishing this film over the last few months. Yeah. I haven't watched anything like super, super recently. That's fair. No <laughs> worries. Okay. And then uh, who is your dream collaborator? Who would you want to work with? Oh, I hope that this isn't too corny of an answer, but <laughs> everyone that I worked with on this film kind of is my dream <laughs> collaboration. I mean, working with Danny was okay. So I'm going to tell a little story about Danny. Um, <laughs> Danny's like, oh no. <laughs> um, so I, when I went to the University of Michigan, Danny was kind of this like, Danny had graduated um, several years before me, but he was this star student. He directed this big film in Ann Arbor shortly after he graduated called Love and Honor. So Danny was kind of like this like idol figure for me. So yeah. So by the time that I had graduated and, you know, it's several years out of school and I'm thinking about making this feature, I had just contacted Danny like, hey, you don't, you don't know me, but I know that you shot movies in Michigan. I just wanted to talk to you about it. And we got on the phone and we talked for like three hours. And by the end of it, he had A, talked me into directing it because I was still on the fence at that point. And B, offered to produce. Oh, wow. Um, so we just instantly connected and Danny is my ride or die on this. He's my backbone. And I, so he really is my dream collaborator at, he is my dream collaborator. Uh, and also working with Vanishing Angle, when I went to the short to feature lab and, you know, Jim and Ben are there with us all, I was going to say weekend, but it's five days. So they're with us all week. And the whole time, the kind of feeling was like, wait, what's the catch? Like, what are you, what are you getting? Like, where's the, but really they're just great guys who are great mentors and want to help filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So being surrounded by so much honesty and people so focused on just the power of storytelling 
and figuring out how to do it in a very efficient, affordable way, I couldn't ask for anything better. That's amazing. That's not a corny answer at all. That's fantastic. Okay, great. <laughs> um, and so how do you think that your experience as a filmmaker has broadened your worldview? Oh, wow. I would definitely say I've met a lot of different kinds of people. And I I grew up in a household where like, we were not allowed to watch a lot of PG-13 movies. We weren't allowed to watch R-rated movies, like very you know, censored for the most part, which I definitely understand. Mm -hmm. So just working in film and seeing so many different perspectives and kind of getting out of that, out of the bubble that I grew up in more or less helped me relate a lot more to people um, and also understand <laughs> there's so many different ways to make a movie. So I, I love talking to other filmmakers. And it's this kind of thing where when you um, – I saw my buddy Colin after I made this and we had just gone through making our first feature. And the first time you look at somebody after you've made a feature and you know, they made a feature, you just have this knowing in your eyes where you're like, we did a thing that was very hard yeah. and very crazy, but we lived, we got through it and it's here now. So it's this, it's this connection uh, that I, that I really love about it. That's great. You mentioned that you went to film school. Um, at what point did you know that you wanted to do that for a living? Yeah. So I, I always wanted to write ever since I picked up a pen. <laughs> um, I, I always knew I wanted to write and tell stories. So I wanted to, I always said I wanted to be an author when I was a kid. And then I fell in love with acting um, in like grade school and I wanted to be an actress. And um, by the time I had gotten to high school, I was looking for ways to combine those two things. So I was like writing for movies. This, this is what is for me. And then I, so I applied to the University of Michigan knowing I wanted to go into the screen arts and cultures program there, which is now called film, television, and media. And I got there thinking I was only going to study writing, like, you know, screenwriting and learn a little bit more about movies. And I came to realize that I really loved production. And part of the reason that I did is because it's kind of like a team sport. And I played, I played volleyball, basketball, softball my whole life. And so when I got to college and I was like, I'm going to do this very solitary thing <laughs> called writing. Um, I started working on films and I was like, oh, this is like a team. It's, you know, and I, I really, really enjoyed that part. So I, I did fall in love with the production side and the actual making side of film once I was in college. But oh, the writing I always, always knew was the goal. Oh, that's great. So in the spirit of repodcasting, can you tell us about a movie which, in your opinion, could use a little recasting? Yes. So I would say... I would like to see like any Marvel movie, any kind of superhero movie cast with very unknowns. I think that would give us, I think it might put a different spirit into them. Mm -hmm. That would be much more interesting to me. Yeah. Um, not that I don't think everyone involved in those films is excellent. I just, I love the discovery of seeing somebody new and you're like, where have I seen them? Like, what have they done? I need to know everything. And there isn't a huge resume. It's just them on screen. Um, and for as, as a director, that really excites me. So that's what I would say for that. Excellent. I love that. Yeah, I think that's really good because, you know, when you bring in somebody huge, you always have to worry about the baggage. Like, yeah. there are so many times. And, like, it's not that 
he's a bad actor, but when I see Brad Pitt on screen, I'm usually like, that's Brad Pitt. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what types of stories do you want to tell more of as a filmmaker going forward? Yeah, so I think that, or I hope that, the kind of heart that you feel in disfluency, that I feel like I want to always have at the core of my storytelling. I always want to make stories that help in some way. And I want to say I recognize that all movies help in some way. All movies are relatable. All movies give, you know, escape or familiarity or whatever it might be. So for me, I definitely want to keep that kind of heart at the center of my work. Maybe take it in slightly more of a comedic direction. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, I love the dramedy and the coming of age category. And that's why I started there. Because if I could start anywhere, I chose the place where I really, you know, thought that I would want to and connected with. But I definitely want to stay in this kind of more ultimately a feel good space. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. excellent. We need more of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. Well, speaking of like going more comedic, I did catch some of your Q&A the other day and you said that you had to cut a lot of jokes um, <laughs> from this movie. Uh, are you able to maybe tell us one that you had to cut? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, there was, <laughs> let me think, which one do I want to share? Okay. <laughs> so right before Jane dives into, so it, in the feature film, Jane has nightmares. And right before one of her darkest nightmares where, you know, she's handed an item, she gets an item and it's a trigger for her. There was a scene in the tent where uh, Lacey, her sister, has a flashlight under her chin. And <laughs> she's talking about how freaking adorable it is that they are. And she's like, oh, my God, I sound like Kennedy, which is <laughs> the, this other, you know, the former popular girl in high school kind of character. Mm-hmm. Um, and Who's a little it, flighty, maybe? <laughs> yes, yes. And, and yeah, and just Ariella's performance on that was so funny to me. Um, <laughs> I, I'm very tacky and then I laugh at my own jokes. So uh, that was very fun for me. But my favorite joke in the film is the end. When I, I love Kennedy, by the way. Um, my favorite joke at the end is right before they go up the pine tree and she tells Dylan, or, or sorry, she, yeah, she tells Dylan that he was overcooked as a baby because he oh. was born late. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. And uh, at this point, where can people watch Disfluency? Yeah. So thank you for asking. We are an official selection at the Heartland International Film Festival and at the Austin International Film Festival two other festivals we are very, very excited about. Disfluency will be able to be viewed virtually through Heartland's website Mm -hmm. from October 7th to October 17th. So you can buy a ticket for that. It's like, I think $12. But other than that, if you're in Indianapolis or if you're in Austin for those festivals, uh, you can definitely buy a ticket. We would love to see you there. We're definitely going to be at those two and hopefully any other other festivals that come up this fall. Wonderful. So is there anything else that you'd like to plug at this point? For me, not so much. <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> I, uh, I'm just getting started on some writing, potentially another feature. Ooh. Yeah. So I don't have much to say on it just yet, but hopefully soon. I will say I have a short film playing at the Detroit She-Town Festival. I believe it's this weekend called Line Dry, which Ariella Brer is also in. So you can go to my Vimeo page and check that out. Uh, but 
yeah, mostly just trying to get the word out there about disfluency right now. Okay. And I'd also recommend, because the short film Disfluency is available to watch on Vimeo too, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. So definitely anybody listening, go watch that right away. (laughs) Yes. Thank you again, Anna. I really appreciate you joining me today. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Hi there. I'm Brendan, a certified home inspector with Rumi. Do you have a problem that needs fixing? Whether it's big or small, inside or outside, let me help you find out what's really going on. You can call me by phone, or we can take a look together over video chat. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I and go to Ask a Home Inspector to book your appointment with me today.